0: So I saw my future. A few weeks ago I was on a contemplative retreat with a few people from church, but I was feeling really, really sick, like I could barely stand up, I'd lost my voice, which was good that was a contemplative retreat because we were meant to be silent. Um, but I, was, I was pretty sick, but on a Sunday we decided to go visit a church nearby. So we went and they started singing, but like I couldn't sing um, and the song was like, you know, they were repeating the chorus a lot. And I couldn't sing, so it was very hard to participate in then My legs were feeling heavy, and so I'm like, I'm just going to sit down. And I sat down, and I closed my eyes, and for a moment, I forgot where I was. For a moment, I had this like, vision of myself as an elderly woman sitting in a wheelchair, unable to sing, but able to hear these beautiful voices singing about God's grace. And I was reminded that when everything is stripped away, like your health, whatever gifts or abilities you have, Um, We're still enveloped in this community of love. And it's kind of like a picture like God's wings coming and enveloping me. And I think I needed to be reminded of that. Because the truth is, I hate goodbyes. I hate change. And I'm really scared about growing old. But I'm fighting a losing battle because all these things happen. In this life, there is loss. Our bodies will grow old. There will be change. You'll move homes. People will come and people will fly away. But we have this hope as Christians, we have this hope of eternal life. And it's a really big hope. I don't know about you, but when things change and it like kind of hits you in the guts, it's this hope that I kind of hold on to. So when I've seen other people uh, say they're leaving and we say goodbye, I've held on to this hope of eternal life. Or when I lament about the fact that I can't keep in contact with everybody that I want to, it's like impossible to see people and hear how they're going. As much as you want to, you try but you don't really keep in contact with as many people as you want to. I hold on to the hope of eternal life. And when I think about um, particularly the children probably in kids' church or in Super Club, that I've spent so much time praying for and teaching about Jesus, and I think, I, I don't know what's going to happen to them. Will they end up following Jesus? Who knows? And I think about people in this church who I've like prayed with and walked with, I'm not going to hear all the ends of your stories. I hold on to the hope of eternal life. My hope is that that we will all meet again in the age to come and then there will be heaps of time to catch up on one another's stories. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul paints this big vision of the future and it begins like this in verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, Who's given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. One day I will die, so will you. Maybe I'll get to be an old woman, maybe I won't. Some of us might feel like death is close. and maybe you all think it's far away. But it will happen. And Paul here says, he uses a really interesting image here. He says, our bodies are like tents. Now, I might get this wrong, because I don't know too much about tents. I normally like direct my stepdad putting it up. But you know, how you put up a tent is like a frame that you put up, and then you put cloth over it, and then you like hammer out the pegs, does that's not right. And then you go into a tent. So we normally use tents because it's like we want to go on an adventure, camping out of the great outdoors. In Paul's day, people tended to go in tents either because they're nomadic and they're like moving around, to a good places to graze their goats or whatever, or because it was unsafe and they're trying to find somewhere safe. So if you've been in a tent, it's kind of safe, like you feel protected, but you also feel more exposed at the same time. you know, snuggly, and especially if it's like rainy or windy, like you can really feel the elements. You can see the shadows of the tree branches, birds waking up really early in the morning. Like I can camp for a few days and it's okay, but tents are not meant to last forever. They're fragile, they're wear, they're tear. They're meant to be folded away and put out for your next adventure, you know. Few years time or whatever. Well, Paul says that is what our bodies are like. Our bodies are like tents; they're fragile. They're not designed to last forever. So I hope, when I do die, uh, at my funeral, which I have imagined, um, that people will be sad. You know, I want to see people crying, and because I want, I want to know that. Well, I probably won't see. It. I'm dead. But anyway, <laughs> I'd like to imagine that I made a difference. But Paul says we're not meant to stay in a place of sadness. Like if you go to a Christian funeral, it's not meant to be all this sadness and grief because we have a hope beyond death. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says we are trusting and waiting that God is in heaven right now preparing a heavenly house for us, something more permanent, resurrected bodies. Now while we wait, we groan because we're mortal and part of what it means to be mortal is to have loss and to say goodbye. But Paul is longing for the day when our mortal bodies are swallowed up by life and we are given bodies that don't grow tired or weary. Can you imagine such a future? Maybe you're thinking, well that sounds nice but it's like a little bit wistful. How do you know? Well, Paul's hope is not just based on like his ideas. He has two reasons why he's hopeful. Firstly, he's met the resurrected Jesus Christ. So he's encountered Jesus for himself. God raised Jesus from the dead, giving a preview into the future. Now, Paul, for a long time, thought that uh, these Christians going around saying, Jesus is raised from the dead, he thought they were crazy and blasphemous, like he was trying to kill them. He's like, no, that's impossible. God... That's not the plan. Why would God raise one person in the middle of history? Like, I'm going to kill them. Stop this movement. And then he encountered Jesus for himself, and his life was radically changed. And he realized, if God can do it once, God can do it again. We worship the God of the resurrection, and Jesus gives us certainty that we too can experience resurrected life. The other reason that um, Paul mentions here in 2 Corinthians 5 is he says, those of us who trust in Jesus have the spirit of God with us. So the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in in those who follow Jesus, transforming us. So we might sometimes feel the spirit, but more than that, people around us should see something new breaking through. They should see a transformation in our lives. So as Paul looks to the future, he has this big vision for the future. He's kind of torn. Because on the one hand, he longs to experience resurrection. He longs to be finally, fully at home with God. And yet he realises that he's here for a reason. He's camping here on this earth on an adventure for a reason. Paul is pretty clear about his vision. He knows why he's here. And I wonder, do we know why we're here? What are we doing with our lives? When I think about all the conversations I've had, and I love like wrestling with the big theological issues, this is probably like the number one conversation I've had is people trying to figure out what to do with our lives. You know, people are like, I trust Jesus, I get that. I kind of get the resurrection, I know where we're heading. You know, we can talk about like well, we can ask speculative questions, but we kind of know where we're heading. But it's this middle part that's so confusing. Like, what are we meant to do with our lives? Well, Paul reminds us here that what we do now really matters. He says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In the future, we will be held accountable for the choices we have made now. God gives us a lot of responsibility for the decisions we make now. And God gives us freedom. He's actually given us quite a lot of space to be able to decide, what do I want the shape of my life to be? Do I even want eternal life with God or not? We get the power to decide. Now sometimes, we, we want more help from God on this issue. Like, my God, tell us, what, what should we decide? Paul says, make good decisions. So, sometimes we know something that's either clearly wrong or right, and then we have to choose whether we're gonna do the wrong thing or the right thing. But the trickier thing is, is when there's two right decisions, and you have to decide which choice am I going to do. So at the end of May, I was um, sitting on a train coming home from the city, and I was sitting in a silent carriage, and the phone rang. And I made a decision to answer the phone even though I was sitting in the silent carriage. And there was this voice on the other end of the phone saying, hello, I'm from some Baptist church. I'm like, okay, great. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they want me to come and you know, I don't know speak at a women's event or something like that. So I was like preparing for my answer. And then they said, oh, your name has been suggested as someone who might be able to fit in our church to be um, pastor, we're looking for a pastor, are you interested? I was like, this is not what I was expecting at all. And I was a little bit distracted because like behind me, there was someone, I, I don't know if I can do it, but they're like breathing really angrily, like muttering, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like annoyed that I was talking in the silent carriage. And so I was like, oh no, I am in the silent carriage. And i are like trying to whisper, like, yes, oh, it's interesting, but but I also don't really yeah need to process this and there's someone annoyed so I kind of really abruptly ended the call and had to call them back to apologise because I was like i am I on the silent carriage and hung up. But mostly I was just in shock. So I walked home. I'm like, what do I do? What what decision do I make? Uh, so when I don't know what to do, I write a pros and cons list. So I wrote a list, but it didn't really help me. And then I began to imagine what it would be like. leave the church and to leave my nieces who have been with them their whole life and then i started to cry as i thought about that but in the end i made the decision to not let fear stop me from doing something and to not do something because i felt uncomfortable god has given us this enormous privilege of getting to make decisions and we get to make some really big decisions in our life like what type of job do we want where do we want to live Do we want to get married? If so, who do we want to get married to? How are we going to raise our children? Like really big decisions. And all these decisions over time shape the way um, that our life will turn out. What we say yes to, we end up saying no to something else. And if you try and say yes to everything which I've done, you also feel the consequences in your body, like it will stop and you'll burn out. When we're young, I sometimes think, why so many people struggle with what do I do with my life is because there seems like there's so many possibilities and you're like I don't know what to do and I want to make the right decision and I want to try and do it all but you can't so then that gets really hard and so I think some people become paralyzed and they almost make no decision if you're not here yet, let me warn you, when you get to like middle age, then you have the opposite problem because then the decisions start to like narrow down and you have less choice and then you go, oh my goodness, did I make the wrong decision already and now it's too late? And like people sometimes say that's when they have like midlife crisis and they try to make these radical changes. But actually, I think in the mid middle life is when you begin to see the fruit of your decisions uh, come into play. So all the study, all the work and training you've been, um, been doing begins to bear fruit all the relationships you've been investing in begins to bear fruit and you begin to get a sense of what your life is going to look like. And then further on, if you reach retirement, sometimes I've met people who are retired and they kind of, I think they think their life has ended, like, oh, that's it, no more decisions to make, I'm like, done. But that's not true because we worship the God of new possibilities. So whatever season you're in, we have this enormous responsibility to make decisions that lead to God's future. So Paul says, make good decisions. Having said that, other people are going to make decisions, and sometimes they'll affect you badly. So we're not in control of everything. Our whole destiny is not in our hands. Like, other people will affect us. And sometimes decisions that we think are really insignificant will become very significant, and we won't even realise it at the time. And through it all, we're trying to discern, God, where are you in all that? And sometimes it's frustrating because it doesn't seem very clear. And sometimes we get a real sense, this is where God is calling me. Paul says, make good decisions. Make decisions in light of the future. This is where God's heading. You know the end, so make decisions in line with that. Paul knew where he wanted um, to go. He knew his job was to proclaim the gospel, and so he says in verse 11, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. My suggestion is, if you don't know what to decide, if you don't know what to do with your life, start dreaming holy dreams. Start looking at what vision might God have for my life. Now there's lots of different visions out there. And Paul says what we tend to do is look by worldly standards. We tend to look at, uh, on the surface, so we look and admire beautiful people, really intelligent people, people who have it all together. And we kind of get inspired by those people and make it our vision for our life. But Paul says we need to go deeper. We need to see what is actually driving someone, what is in someone's heart. Now, when people looked at Paul, he did look a bit crazy. Like, he's pretty serious with Jesus. He's, like, running around Asia Minor, planting a lot of churches, writing his letters, he's getting beaten up, arrested, persecuted, he's still going forth. And he says, people look at me, and I look like I'm out of my mind. he says, that's okay, because if you could see into my heart, you'd see it's Christ's love that compels me. And so I'm going to go all out. My decisions, my vision is centered on Jesus and I'm not afraid to go all out. In fact, I think that's what really matters. You look at Paul and then you look at our lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my vision is a lot smaller than Paul's. And I feel like we can spend so much time like building brick by brick our dream house or dream career or dream family, whatever. And we spend so much time feathering our nests it's all temporary and none of it lasts, and yet we get so consumed by it. At the beginning of this year, I began to feel unsettled in my settledness. Has anyone ever felt like they're too settled? Like life is just almost too comfortable? That was me at the beginning of the year. So, this is way before I was even thinking about or knowing about Seaforce. I was like, you know, everything's great. I love church, I love where I live, I love the people I come into contact with is, but it's all just the same. And this is really scary. I'm starting to feel like I'm even capable, which is like a strange place for me. And I don't want to feel capable. I want to be challenged. I want to have to rely on God. Sometimes I think we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us fresh dreams that stretch our faith. Like, God, oh, we're really too comfortable. This is a very scary prayer. But I need you to shake things up. I need you to show me something that means I have to step out of faith and I don't think I can do it without you, so I'm going to have to hold on to you. Paul got it. Paul got that Jesus died for everyone. And that changed everything for Paul. So Paul was convinced this is true, and I'm going to dedicate my whole life to proclaiming this good news so that as many people as possible might enter into this future, might experience Eternal life as well. That vision of God's future drove Paul, and he went all out for it. He realised that he had already died. The end had already come. The tears had been shared. The goodbyes had been had. In Jesus, we have died, and then he could see that there was life after death. So he says, "I'm going to give my life, not just uh, pursuing my small dreams." I'm going to give my life to the one who laid it down for me because he is greater than I and he's the one who raises people from the dead and that's, that's my life. I'm going to give it until I have no more life and I get to go home to God. It's not just Paul you might think, well, that was great. Paul was like you know just in the New Testament times they're so always very passionate. But I actually met someone a few weeks ago, a Kenyan pastor by the name of Oscar, who kind of reminded me of Paul. He's like, has this big vision. He's going to plant 300 churches, 150 in the next two years, I think. And he's like, oh, we've got to proclaim the gospel. Like, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are So He's raising up like hundreds of leaders just searching for people who are passionate about Jesus. And one instance, he's just said, three people, so in their early 20s, maybe around like 22, 23, to London, and they have a goal. So they have to make this seven-year commitment that they're going to be dedicated to, first of all, planting a church in London. And to do that, they have to commit to living a really simple life, so they're not allowed to buy a car, they have to like use public transport, they share um, rooms together. And the third commitment they have to make, which is probably where most of us would not do this, is that for seven years they have to commit to not being married or having any children because they're so focused on seeing this vision come to life. That's a really big vision, that's a really big call that he's calling them to. I'm hearing those words challenged me because I'm like, I think too often my vision is a lot smaller. Oscar says, when I pray, I want to pray things that make God sweat. I want God to know, like, oh, that's a big prayer. And I really, like, that's a challenge. I don't know if I can do that. And so it like, got excited. So he's like, what is the biggest thing for the sake of the gospel that I can start praying for that will get God going, yeah, this is much better than just like, help me find a castle God. I mean, that's good. You can pray for that. But what are the big things we can pray for um, for the sake of the gospel? Now, we don't all have to be Cross cultural workers or missionaries or church planners or pastors, we're not more holy, so in fact the biggest dream is to be a pastor. Um, but we are called, whatever we end up doing, to centre our life on Jesus Christ and to pray big and to think that God might have more than you can imagine for your life, that God might actually work in a big way through you. Often I think maybe we don't pray that because we're like, oh, I'm very ordinary. You know, you see those great heroes you're like, that's not me. So we don't even pray and think God might work through me in a big way. I want to encourage you to ask God to do something that scares you for the sake of the gospel. And don't just ask God once and be like, tick, done. But this is a lifelong process. Like, whatever season we're in, and as we go through different seasons, like, circumstances change. You want to be regularly asking, how is God calling us to use our life right now? I actually try and stop and do this at least once a year and if you're not sure, what, what do I do? Like, you pray to God and ask God, how do you want me to use my life? And you think back, you think, where has God already been at work in my life? And then you ask, what are the things that are really tugging on my heart? What are the needs that I see in this world that really get to me? What are my dreams? Like, write them down. List your gifts and talents. Hopefully you know or discover what your gifts and talents are. Work through your weaknesses and failures. Talk to others, explore possibilities, dream, and then make a decision. I've decided that I really want to do something that matters. And it might look foolish to most people, but I've decided that what really matters is throwing my lot in with Jesus and making Jesus the center of my life. Stretch your wings and dream with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul has made his home in Christ. He is united, aligned with Christ, because he realizes that is where the future is found, and he wants it to be found there. He realizes that out of our old bodies, something new is emerging. So when I was praying about seaforth, I kept seeing lots of birds. Obviously, there's birds flying around all the time, but as I was praying, I kept noticing birds everywhere, like like cockatoos, rainbow lorikeets, nibbling on like red flowers, little birds hiding away in trees, flocks of birds flying overhead. And at the end of July, I went to Toronto Zoo and I ended up watching this bird show. I got really emotional because these birds like, fly overhead and then they land on like the trainer's arm. And it was this beautiful scene of trust, a beautiful glimpse, I think, of new creation. That is the future that I am longing for, for, Reconciliation between us and God, between us and other people, and between us and this world. So I want to make decisions in light of that. And as I saw these birds, I felt God remind me that we get to be partners with God. Now obviously God is the greater partner, but we get to partner with God in this work. Paul says, if you are here on this earth camping here in our fragile little tents, you are here for a reason. You are Christ's ambassadors. You're representing Jesus in the world. And whatever we're doing, we are all involved in the ministry of reconciliation. We are seeking to help others be reconciled to God. That is the ministry that all of us are called to. And so when we make decisions, we make it in light of that. But as I was also praying and looking at the birds, I felt like God was also saying to me, and I think maybe even to people in this church, that Sometimes you need things to be shaken up, like you need to be out of your comfort zone, and it's time to, like, stretch your wings and try to fly, Christine. Like, you've done lots of training. You've been at this church, Hornsby Baptist, for a long time. You're pretty comfortable. It's time to fly and see what happens. And if you fall, I'm still going to catch you. You can be enveloped back. You can take shelter under my wings. But it's time to have a go. Leave the nest. You've been here a long time. It's time to leave the nest. I think that's something we all need to hear, that we need to keep dreaming fresh dreams and doing stuff that scares us, that takes a risk for us. So my last words to you are, keep letting Christ's love compel you out and keep stepping out in faith. Do something that scares you because you'll have to hold on to God. Keep dreaming fresh dreams because I think God has really big things in store for this church as we approach a new building, but also for a lot of you in your lives. And I would love to pray for you as my uh, final time praying. I'd love to pray if you would like me to pray, because I'm gonna have to ask you to do something bold and stand. Um, I'd like to pray this, anyone who is feeling too settled in their life, or anyone who has some big decisions that they need to make, or anyone who just wants to dream for streams, I'd love to pray for you because we all, as I also look back.